When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. From the Gospel according to St. Mark, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we hear of the heavens being torn open and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. I want you to note clearly how the evangelist renders these words. First, he says that it is when Jesus comes up out of the water that he sees the heavens being torn open. The rite of baptism in those days was something akin to the ritual purification baths that Jews would enter into before entering into the temple if they had, for instance, touched a dead body. In fact, the reading that we had from the Acts of the Apostles this morning is preached by Peter on the steps leading up to the temple. The reason that those 3,000 are able to be baptized on that day is that those baths are all over the front leading up to the temple. You can go there to the A, and it's, it's not to be missed to see this, these uh, mikvah ritual baths. After the Babylonian captivity, these baths became associated not only with ritual purity, but with repentance a desire for a new life in the sight of God. It was required for all those converting to Judaism from among the Gentiles. And unlike Christian baptism, could be repeated over and over and over again. The status of ritual cleanliness being regained or repentance repeated. For Jesus being a Jew already, to be baptized was first an identification with uncleanness as much as it was with cleanness. We should not assume that this uncleanness is primarily or even secondarily about sin. It's about ritual impurity being, ritual purity being restored. And the wild thing about it is that this is happening far from Jerusalem. This is a time when people are being baptized for reasons other than going up into the temple. They are desiring to live lives of ritual purity constantly, as opposed to only when going up to Jerusalem. The understanding is that the world has contaminated human life, even if the person has remained unstained by sin. Although we know that John is preaching a baptism of repentance, Jesus isn't necessarily taking this on as a baptism of repentance. The church fathers went to lengths to explain how this baptism of Jesus was not made necessary by his sin, for he had none. They normally offer that he was identifying with sinners or going into the waters to sanctify all waters, as St. John Chrysostom says, so that every Christian baptism would be performed in waters that he himself sanctified. I always love that. That's a good idea. I mean, it's very good. Or simply to say that he, he who became sin, who knew no sin, and all of those are great things to be said. They need to be said. But the thing that I want to focus on this morning is that this idea that there is a difference between sacred and profane, holy and unholy. Furthermore, the idea that one can live a sacred, sanctified life, a holy life, a life lived in the presence of God, not only when inside sacred buildings, but throughout one's life. We are very quick to identify such ideas with the difference between sinfulness and holiness, our faults and God's perfect holiness, and let's be clear, that is all very true. But what I want you to see this morning in looking at the Lord's baptism in the Jordan is a much bigger picture. 
And that is through the very real themes in Holy Scripture concerning water. In the very second verse of the book of Genesis, we read that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. This might seem a bit vague. We might think of the Spirit of God hovering over a lake or over an ocean. But that is likely not what the biblical authors meant precisely because lakes and oceans hadn't been created yet. It is because in verse 6, there is a separation of waters from waters, separated by an expanse, or what is translated as a firmament. What is going on here? It's always this very strange thing. It used to baffle me until I took an Old Testament class. Ancient people most often believed that the heavens were made up of waters. It's a very primitive idea, but consider it. The sky is blue, so what must be up there? Water. It rains. Sometimes even snows. So what is up in the heavens? It must be water. God is beyond the waters. We are under the waters. We are separated by water. To come up out of the water is to break through the heavens in a sense. To the very presence of God. Consider the account of the flood in Genesis chapter 7. The story is told, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Noah and his family encounter the chaos of water coming from both directions, the deep bursting forth, and the windows of the heavens opening the chaos that separates them from a holy God is having its way we read that the waters prevailed meaning that they had victory over the earth and all creatures all high mountains and last but not least human beings water is associated with the chaos of death it kills where does death come from is it from the ground or is it from the heavens the answer the biblical authors give is both. Death comes from the ground, for that is where the dead are buried. Death swallows one up into itself. Death comes for you from the very place where you're going. And death also comes from above. Death is not meted out merely by nature or nearly from the earth, but by God himself. You die because of the chaos of sin. And more than that, you die because you are separated, alienated, veiled off from God. When the flood ceases, it is because God causes a wind to blow on the earth, causing the waters to subside. We read that the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and rain from the heavens was restrained. Before a dove is sent out from the ark, the wind of God blows and dries up the waters. That is how the flood ends, with the very breath of God. Consider as well the very many places that water appears also in the Old Testament. Abraham washes the feet of the three angelic visitors with water. It is by a well of water that wives are found not only for Isaac but for Jacob. The Israelites are saved through water after a lack of water, forces them into Egypt. Interestingly, Joseph is thrown into a pit where Scripture tells us specifically there was what? No water. Moses is placed in the water to save his life, and later that same water in the Nile becomes blood, killing all of the fish. 
The people in the wilderness beg Moses for water. Aaron and his sons are blessed with water. I could go on and on and on and on, but the point is this, that water is a means of judgment and a means of life. And not just any kind of life, but a holy, redeemed life. Even today, for a Jew to go to a mikvah bath, which they have in major cities, uh, is to take on new life, which is necessary to enter into worship. Normally, during the season of Epiphany, the priests of our parish go out and bless the homes of the parish, using water as a means of this blessing. It is a strange thing, especially in a new house with a good strong roof, to go around splashing water everywhere, but it is again both a sign of judgment, the casting out of demons, and a sign of supernatural life, especially the life of the church subsisting in the life of the home. I mean, it was made abundantly clear today that that some things can be profaned. And they must be unprofaned. In a little while here, we will renew our baptismal vows and Father Jonathan will walk down the aisle splashing you with water. To remind you of this. So it is not a mistake that when Jesus comes up out of the waters of the Jordan, he sees the heavens being torn open, ripped open. We do not know what drove him to undertake This act. We know very little about Jesus' upbringing aside from his birth, a journey to Egypt, and his being found in the temple when he was 12 years old. We do not know what he was seeking in being baptized aside from one verse in the Gospel of Matthew in which John protests baptizing Jesus, and the Lord replies, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That only further substantiates the point that Jesus goes to be baptized seeking a righteous state. And you might say, what does he need that for? He is God and man in one divine person. He is righteousness himself. But I would say to you, the Lord himself lived under this veil. He lived in this earthly life with the heavens hidden from him. He lived in this way exactly as we do, living with veiled faces, seeing in a mirror dimly that which he had beheld for all time and forever. Mark writes that upon Jesus coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open. This word is schizomenos, meaning that the heavens were opened passively. They did not open themselves. This is the same word that we get uh, for the word schism, the rending apart of the church. It also has a violent meaning. Most translations use the word torn, like a rupture. This is the same word where we get the word scissors, in fact. The heavens are ripped, torn, cut apart. And what is it that the Lord sees? Well, He sees the Holy Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. Remember what was said earlier, that in the beginning of the creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Here, the Spirit of God breaks through a rip in the heavens, water no longer separating heaven from earth, even if for a moment, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. There is no doubt that this is a combination of imagery from the Genesis account of the flood, Moses sending, or not Moses, eight. Noah sending out a a, a dove. And this dove comes back as a sign of new life. 
God's favor, as well as a sign of the breath of God being that which dries up the floodwaters of judgment and death. And then finally, a voice came from heaven. Remember that voice, the word of God which created the world. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What can this word from the Father be but the very word that is the Son, speaking to Him and about Him? We see that the separations between heaven and earth have passed away. We see that this division has been lost. It has been ripped apart. The heavens have been torn. This has been mentioned in years past on this Feast of the Baptism, but it is clear that what is being seen in this moment in the Gospel account is what we should call a theophany. We use the word epiphany during the season, but theophany is what uh, the Eastern Church calls it, meaning a manifestation of the whole of the Divine Trinity. Each person is made manifest, the Son coming up out of the waters, the Spirit descending, and the Father speaking. In Christian iconography, this is depicted as Jesus baptized by John with the Holy Spirit carried down as a dove on a beam of heavenly light from what is called in Christian art either a mandorla, a kind of oval or almond shape, or an ellipsoid square, often seen also in icons of the transfiguration. These images point to an opening in the divisions not only between heaven and earth, but even earth and the grave. If you look at these icons, you can see uh, these uh, angelic dragon riders <laughs> fleeing away from Jesus. You can only see what that is. It's the chaos of the creation is fleeing from the Lord. This chaos which separates us from God. The waters are also depicted not as a lake or as a pond or even as a river. They are depicted as a chasm in the earth. And this shows us not only that it is Jesus who will ascend to the heavens, but Jesus who will descend into the chaos of death. who will literally descend among the dead. And this is why Paul writes that as many of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized also into His death. This is at the heart of the message for this day. That Jesus is the one who joins into Himself things earthly and things heavenly, the sacred and the secular. This is the reason that the church's life is primarily that of a sacrament. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. The church, she is outward, she is visible. And yet she is inward and she is spiritual. These two things are not separated so much as they are joined together. The life of the Christian, in fact, is visible. And yet the life of the Christian is hidden with God in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And you might say that in remembering the baptism of Jesus as we do on this day, our hearts and minds are recalled to think about how it is Jesus who tears open the heavens and how it is Jesus who tears open the grave. It is Jesus Himself who is the fount of living water, a life which springs up from the ground not to destroy and to kill, but to give life. And it is also Jesus who, like rain and snow, fall upon the earth and give it life. Bread for sowing and seed for eating. 
so is the word of God which proceeds from his mouth. And all of this is made terrifyingly plain and also joyfully manifest in Christian baptism, which you and I remember on this day, that we too were living in the darkness of sin, that we too were tainted by the world, that we too lived in chaos, that we too were subject to death. And what happened? The same water, the water of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, made us dead and alive. The water prevailing over us and yet being raised up by a new breath, by a new gift, the gift of heavenly life with a heavenly Father pointing you and me to the fullness of life. Life lived in the goodness of God. May he be praised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.